The following is my conversation with Doug Eggy, co-founder of Mind Pump Media. Mind Pump Media is an online radio show and podcast dedicated to fitness and overall wellness. Doug has a wealth of knowledge and fitness gained through his own journey to attain the perfect body. In his quest to achieve his goal, Doug was met with disappointment and frustration when nothing he tried seemed to work. Over years of trial and error, he finally found a methodology counter to common myths on fitness and has now dedicated his life to sharing his knowledge with others. Uh, I have been following you and Mind Pump for a very long time. And this it's grown to more than just like, you know, a platform where you go for your fitness, you know, like, let's say, inspirations or like what you should do with your body and help yourself, like build yourself to who you are. Tell me a little bit like, you know, how this whole thing started off from. Uh, so how Mind Pump started? Even your journey, because like I was like doing a little bit of research and then I saw Rocky and I was like, okay, this guy is doing what I like. Because when I was young and I was going through like a really tough time, I watched Rocky and it like really changed my world. And I was like, this is something that I want to discuss with you. And then your journey from like there to like what you are doing with Mind Pump or uh, the podcast that you do, everything. Right, right. Well, we share that. Rocky was something that uh, affected me as a young man. Or I would say I was probably around 16 or so when I saw Rocky three for the first time. And uh, I saw Sylvester Stallone and he was definitely ripped and symmetrical. And he looked like he had the ideal physique in my mind. And I really aspired to want to build a physique like that. I mean, prior to that, I'd been kind of a pudgy boy and uh, I wanted to change my body. Obviously, around 16 years old, I was interested in girls, and I thought, well, that this, this would certainly be a selling point uh, for sure, and so I, um, I talked to my dad, and he got me a membership to a, a gym because I wanted to start working out, and so I did, uh, and then right around that time, too, I think uh, I was maybe around 17 years old, Rocky Four had come out, so I but he, he seemed too big. He seemed unattainable in that one. So I was really focused on my Rocky three look. And when I get into something, I really dive into it. Uh, that's just been my personality since I was a little kid. And I started buying all these books and magazines around building muscle. And of course, one of those would be a very popular magazine called uh, Muscle and Fitness. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but it was it's been around for a long time. And uh, so I got, I got these magazines, they're full of all these bodybuilders. And I made this assumption and, and I, and it's a good assumption, I think, is if you want to learn how to do something, learn from the best. And obviously the best people to build muscle are bodybuilders because they look the best or the biggest. So they, they obviously know what they're doing. Um, and now there I've learned there's some flaws with that, that type, type of, uh, a belief system, just seeing that people who are very good at something means that they can teach you how to do it. it doesn't always pan out that way. But anyway, so I, I got the bodybuilding magazines. I started to follow their nutrition advice, their workouts. Uh, I saw, well, there's supplements in these magazines and these guys are all promoting these supplements. So there must be the supplements combined with their workouts that are causing them to look this way. <laughs> and so I started buying supplements and I didn't have a lot of money. And I soon became very frustrated, even though I built some muscle, uh, I, you know, found that I, I wasn't growing after a certain point, I'd hit a plateau. And so I just try to throw more at it, you know, go to failure more, 
push myself harder, believing that was the way to do it. And I just didn't get the results. And so I wasn't getting anywhere close to my Rocky body. <laughs> so that's really how I got started with this thing. Um, I mean, I could tell you a lot of the details in between, but if I wanted to fast forward to, to this point where I'm now working with mind pump and we have a fitness podcast, I'm fully immersed in the fitness industry. I'd spent years going on and off of my workout routines, you know, getting interested in it again and, and working out hard. I lived in Japan for a few years. Uh, I had a gym membership there. I go work out there. Uh, I, when I was about uh, 35, I moved up to Tahoe. And when I got up there, um, I decided I was going to do the body for life challenge. I don't know if you're familiar with the body for life challenge, no, but there's I'm a book sure. called body for life. It's by Bill Phillips. And if you open up the book inside the book are all these before and after pictures of people past winners who had won this challenge or not even all winners, people who had actually participated in this body for life challenge. And the idea was, is you follow their challenge for three months, eat their foods, take their supplements, you know, do their workouts and you'll have a transformation. And all these people in this book, from before and after, after a three month period of time, it was incredible. And some of these guys had this Rocky three body I wanted. And I said, well, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so two of my friends and myself, we all bought all the supplements that they were selling that went along with this program. We had their books, the journal, everything. We followed the workouts. We prepared the meals religiously, just as they laid out. Uh, ate all the chicken breasts. Uh, we did all the workouts exactly as they laid out. And after a three month period of time, I had lost some body fat. I'd put on a little bit of muscle, but I looked absolutely nothing like uh, the before and after pictures inside that book. And so I was extremely frustrated with that because I, I thought that was what it was going to take, right? And so I worked out for a while after and then I fell off again. So this has been my kind of history is falling off and then also I had weight challenges. I put on like 35 pounds of uh, body fat. So I was using cardio really as a way to keep my fat down. So I'd be running, I'd be playing tennis. I would be doing all types of activity, working out, trying to, you know, have muscle and also lose fat. And it was just not really working for me. And then in, I think it was around 2011, I hurt my back and I went to a chiropractor and the chiropractor said, you know what? You have a bunch of muscle imbalances. This is why you hurt your back. Because I'd heard it doing basically nothing. I was just in a hotel. I stepped over a piece of luggage. And all of a sudden, my lower back seemed to have gone out. So I, uh, he said, you know, you have muscle imbalances. So what I recommend is there's a trainer. And he's extremely good. You should go see him. Because he has a very different approach to working out and fitness. And I think you'll really like him. And at the time, you know, I wasn't flush with money. So I was a little bit reluctant to go hire an expensive trainer. But I figured, well, you know what? I've had this back issue. I don't want to have it again. I'm going to go check this guy out. So I meet this guy. I go to this studio and this man, uh, well-dressed in his, you know, T-shirt, branded T-shirt, uh, looked very much the part, very professional, comes up with me with clipboard and, we sit down, he starts talking about my goals, he does an assessment with me, and he starts talking about what he could do to help me out. And uh, so I decided to hire him for 
10 sessions. And that's Sal Stefano, who is actually one of my business partners now. And so I worked out with him for 10 sessions and I started to get stronger and feel like I was getting some real benefit. And I saw that he really took a different approach with me than everything I thought I knew about fitness and health and building muscle that I'd learned in the magazines and the books. And he, he for him, it was less is more. So I used to work out, you know, like split routines and work out every day and do my upper and lower bodies and, and all that and split it all up and think I had to go, you know, uh, to failure on every set. And for him, it's like, okay, you're gonna work out with me two times a week. Are you kidding? Two <laughs> times a week? How am I gonna ever do anything with that? Am I gonna have any results? He goes, trust me, two times a week, we'll do it. And then it's, when it's time to work out, it's like, I can do more reps. He goes, no, you're gonna stop. You're, you're almost close to failure. So we're gonna stop. And I thought, but that is that gonna be enough stimulus to build muscle? And he goes, you know, trust me. And so it went like that. Uh, so after my 10 sessions were up, I up for another 40 sessions because I enjoyed it so much. And then I probably did that at least one or two more times after that. And it was expensive, but I gotten a lot of results working out two times a week. He eventually moved me to three days of full body workouts a week. And uh, I said, wow, this guy really is kind of flipping my paradigm regarding uh, working out and building muscle upside down, I think I could do something with him in a business sense because I had some internet marketing background and I was kind of looking for something to do that I could sell online. I said to Sal one day when we we're working, I go, you know, if you, if you can think of something that we could sell online, I can help you get that to market. He told me at that time, I've been thinking about doing an ebook. I go, no, 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 not an ebook. I think you should be on video because you're very professional. You look the part, you're well-spoken and video is kind of the future here. And so he goes, oh, I'll think about it. So a little while after that, he came to me one day. He goes, you know, I've, I've thought of this concept and I call it MAPS, which stands for Muscular Adaptation Programming System. And it's a full body workouts, but I've included this thing called trigger sessions, which are little mini workouts you do on your off days with rubber bands so you don't really damage the muscle but you you get a little bit of a pump and you continue sending that anabolic signal uh to the body and i said well this is perfect let's let's do it so from that point forward we mapped out a plan to create this program that we we're going to call maps anabolic so we bought i mean i i had all types of equipment i had cameras i had a green screen i had lights and all of this and i lug it all to his studio every sunday and we spend the day filming exercises I, I had to learn how to do a lot of back-end stuff. So I told him I knew how to do internet marketing, but there was a lot of stuff I didn't know how to do, including I had to build out a membership site using WordPress. I had to do all the editing of all these videos. I, I mean, I had some knowledge how to do a lot of this stuff, but a lot of it was jumping out of the airplane and creating the parachute on the way down because I didn't know what I was doing. So it took months. So we started in May of 2013 on that project. And it took me until October of that year to put everything together, to be complete with all the filming, to create all the membership sites, to create sales pages and things like that. And we went to market and we sold just a handful of these things, right? I mean, nobody knew about it and nobody knew why it was special, even though we were trying to tell people why it was special in our marketing information. And so uh, we, we, kept, uh, we kept pushing on this. We went to a, a marketing seminar in uh, San Diego 
And we learned a lot of things about marketing. We met a woman who did Facebook ads. And so we started advertising Facebook on Facebook for the programs. We created the second program called the No BS Six Pack Formula because, you know, six pack abs are very popular. We had a really low price point on that. And we're going to use that as our entry level program and then upsell them to the other program, MAPS Anabolic. And so we were selling these, uh, but we, they weren't flying off the shelves by any uh, stretch of the imagination, just a few hundred dollars a month we were making. And then in 2014, we had created this sales video. It was like a 30 minute video that Sal had sent to Adam Schaefer. Now, Sal and Adam had actually never met. Uh, they had heard of each other because they both work for this big company called 24 Hour Fitness here in the U.S. And they had mutual friends that said, hey, you guys should meet each other because you have a lot of things in common. And so he had been in touch with Adam. And uh, so he sent this video to Adam to take a look at. And Adam said, this is incredible. This is exactly what the fitness industry needs. needs. I'm very interested in this. Let's get together. And so Adam and Sal and Justin Andrews, who was Adam's partner, and there's a third, another guy, his name was Craig Caperso, who was like a bodybuilding.com model. Um, he, we all joined together and we decided to start a podcast and we ended up calling it Mind Pump. And we started to record a bunch of episodes. Uh, and then Craig Caperso, who was bodybuilding.com, he was also uh, sponsored by a big supplement company. The, the, the early episodes were very raw, sometimes a little bit uh, off color or a lot off color. And he felt uncomfortable and his sponsors felt uh, uncomfortable him being on that show because it was so raw. And he said, I have to back out of this. I can't do it. We uh, decided we're just going to continue on. We're going to scrap all those old episodes and we're going to start over. And we recorded a bunch more and we launched in 2015. And from that point forward, you know, I, I mean, you asked me about Sylvester Stallone and Rocky yeah. Bobby. I don't know if you wanted me to get into all that, but I did. No, no, it, uh, it makes so much sense because you it's it's the journey of the brand, like how it evolved. Like, you know, you got people involved. You Like, you know, there was okay, initially there was not that much interest, but like as the brand grew and the right network came together, it made sense. But then I wanted to go back into your yo-yo working out sessions where you like, you know, you did work out for a bit and then you stopped and you had to come back to it. What changed? Like, well, how did the paradigm shift from that? Because women have something similar where instead of working out, they yo-yo diet. Like, I'm going to be very strict. I'm going to be super clean. Like, I'm not going to be eating too greasy foods. going to be nothing fast food. And then you go back to it because your baseline craves that or your body is just like, no, I'm, I'm not happy in this state. So what happened and what's the difference? Like, what, what did... Paul offer to you and like teach you that was very different because you said like you ended up thinking like this is not enough like I want to work out more and he's just like nope you don't have you're close to failure stop how is this uh, different yeah so I not only yo-yo worked out I yo-yo dieted too so I'm very familiar with the yo-yo dieting for all my life from the time I was a small kid I had weight challenges I was a chubby boy in elementary school. And then I had lost a lot of weight when I was about 21 years old. I, and I got down really thin and ripped and I was very light and I liked to run and I run really fast. And then I gain it back. And I did that over and over, over the years. So I go on diets. I would try all different types of diets. I mean, back in the day, what was it? The um, South beach diet or whatever the other popular diets of the time. 
and I knew this basic concept that, you know, you reduce your calories, you burn more, burn more calories. And so that's why I was doing so much cardio, like running and playing tennis and that type of thing is because I was trying to lose fat all the time. And then every once in a while, I get really serious about it and get very strict and I lose a bunch of weight and then it would come back on. And the same thing with my workouts is I, I get into it. I'd be very excited about it. And I would work out so hard. I mean, when I would go to the gym, I'd work out to the point sometimes where I felt like I was going to throw up. And I figured that's what's going to take for me to get what, uh, what I wanted to get as far as my workouts are concerned. You know, the whole no pain, no gain message that's been out there forever. And so I associated hard with good. Same with the diet, you know, dramatic things I did. And so I would say that the real problem, underlying problem of my both my working out and my dieting was sustainability. I was always doing things to try to get somewhere. And my thought was once I got there, then I can back off and start doing the things I like to do. So as far as diet's concerned, my thought was, okay, I'm going to really restrict and lose this fat. And then I can go back to eating the kinds of foods I like and being kind of hedonistic about my food consumption. And in my workouts, it's like, oh, I'm so tired. I, you know, I, I don't even want to go to the gym today. And then that, that one day turned into two days, turned into five days, turned into six months and then a year. And then I go back again and start all over again. And so from a standpoint of diet, when I, right before I met Sal, I had actually gone to a family reunion and I was down on the beach, we're playing volleyball, and I have a photo of myself, and my shirt had come up, and my belly was hanging out. And I go, this is crazy. And I really made a determination at that point to take the weight off and to do it in a sustainable way and to make it a permanent weight loss. So I had this realization, which you know is very obvious to me now, is like, if, if you want to keep the weight off, the way you lose it should be the way you keep it off. In other words, you can't go back to the way things were before you cannot go back to where you were because that's what got you to where you were in the first place. So you had, I knew I had to have a fundamental change in my way of thinking about food and my diet, and it had to be a permanent lifelong change. And so that's what I did when I lost weight is I started to really focus on very, uh, I tracked everything religiously actually for a year and a half to know what I was doing and then I could see what was causing the, you know, the changes in my weight. But more importantly, I'd take a tape and I'd measure my circumference of my waist. And I really tracked that. And I could see how my change in diet would affect that metric in particular, either up or down. And so I became very, very in tune with my body and what foods uh, would do to it. And really how I was... Um, a lot of my lifestyle choices in the past were just uh, the cause of, of this challenge. Like, I, I mean, I'd eat what I'd want. I'd drink what I'd want. I'd put, you know, as much salad dressing on as I'd want. And then I'd, I realized that, no, you cannot do that. You can have like meals every once in a while. You kind of go off the off track with. But as a general rule, 80% of the time, 90% of the time, you need to be very uh, judicious about the way you eat. And once I got to that point, I lost a bunch of weight and I've essentially kept that off ever since. I know I fluctuate still, but I'm very mindful of it. See, I'm very mindful of it. And I always know what's causing it. 
So, okay, maybe I'm drinking some alcohol now, or maybe now I'm using a lot of sauces on my food or whatever the case may be. I'll, I'll pinpoint what that is and I'll just stop doing that. And then I'll even out. So over the years, I've never gone back up to where I was before the workouts again, before, because I was doing all, all beast mode all the time. Uh, I just never felt like I had the ability to sustain that. And so Sal introduced me to just very practical workouts. And in two to three hours a week, I could get all my workouts in. And uh, if I was just consistent with that, uh, that, that would uh, give me results. And I didn't have to go to the point of failure. In fact, Sal always said, if you don't feel energized after the workout, you've done too much. And so now I feel great after workout. So it's not a chore for me. It's actually something I enjoy and I get energized about. And I'm very consistent with, I work out typically three days a week. I'll do some trigger sessions in between. I follow a number of our different programs. So that can change up if I'm following a particular program, but I always seem to go back to our flagship program, which is maps anabolic, which is two to three full body workouts a week. And then these trigger sessions in between, which are just like five, 10 minute little quick workouts with rubber bands. Uh, I have a question related to like overall, like the misconception about working out, like especially for women, they go like, oh, I don't want to do weight training because I don't want to get bulky. And it this is for somehow stuck through years and years. And it's so wrong because uh, it, that's not how it works. It's a lot to do with your hormones. Uh, it's no matter how much weight training you put into your uh, schedule, it's never gonna be the same as like, you know, you're not gonna look like a dude at the end of it, one that. And second, uh, there's this obsession with getting that six pack app. And a lot of people do not strengthen their back. So your back, the, your, the, the thighs, the back, the calves, everything, your spine. That's where most injuries occur when you like try to do deadlifts, you want to try to do weight training. And then, you know, if you mess up your shoulder or your back, then you're just waiting for recovery. Like it takes a while. And then that just like derails your whole schedule of like, okay, this is my plan. These are my goals. And I miss out on that. So just want you to comment on that. Give your feedback. Yeah. So uh, just so you know, I'm, I'm not a trainer. I'm just yeah. a guy that, uh, <laughs> that loves fitness. And I've been around trainers for the past uh, seven and a half years. So I've learned an awful lot. But as far as women becoming bulky, I think that is a, a very big disservice, this belief that women, if they're going to touch weights, they're going to bulk up like a, a bodybuilder. Because I wish I would touch weights and I would bulk up like a bodybuilder. I've been working out very consistently now for years and I'm nowhere close to looking like a bodybuilder. Yeah, I have muscle, but I'm not this massive guy. And, and, and women tend, as a general rule, not to build muscle as easily as a man. I mean, some, there's some obviously exceptions to that. But those are very rare, genetically uh, gifted type people. So I think a lot of women think, well, if I'm just skinny, you know, that's that's the key thing. But it's actually muscle that gives shape to the body. And uh and the amount of muscle a woman will build doing a two to three day a week workout is going to just be like more tightness and a little bit more curve. And they're just going to look good and strong, but they're not going to look anything like a bodybuilder. You know, Sal often tells a story about he used to manage gyms and people would come in and say this exact same thing. And women would say this, they would say, well, I don't want to look like a bodybuilder. And so he'd invite this one of his trainers in and she was a pretty small woman, maybe a five foot or something like that, five, two. 
and that he'd ask the person in front of him, okay, guess her weight. And they would, I think, guess. And again, I don't know these numbers exactly, but like, yeah. oh, she's 105, 110 pounds. And then you'd say, he'd put her on the scale and she'd be like 130 pounds. And they would be blown away by that. And it's like muscle, muscle weighs a lot more than fat. So it's a lot more compact. Every pound of muscle you put on is much smaller uh, than a pound of fat. So if you lose a pound of fat and put on a pound of muscle, you'll actually be smaller, but you'll look tighter. And so that's the, that's the message that we often put out um, on this show. And I know one of our first episodes we ever did, it was probably episode one, two or three. I don't remember which one it was. It was about female fitness myths. And we talked about that and that really resonated with people. And that, that episode became very popular. We have since done that same episode over in different uh, formats since then. Um, so yeah, I, I think women, uh, I mean, all you're going to do is look better. If, I mean, if, you know, obviously how you look and better is always a subjective term, but you'll, you will be stronger. You'll be uh, more resilient. Your bones will be stronger if you do some resistance training and put on a little bit of muscle and your hormones will be better too. And so all that contributes to just better overall health. And in my opinion, again, my opinion, since it's subjective, <laughs> you look better. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, now the, the other question you had, if you don't mind repeating the gist of that. You, so it's talking, talking about uh, like strengthening your back and like, you know, oh. the, the choice that you make over uh, aesthetically trying to build like six pack abs, but they oh. functionally do not have the same uh, advantages, like, you know, strength training of like, you know, your core muscles and your back, which supports your entire body. Yeah. You know, the building a six pack abs is a, uh, of course, something uh, that's very popular. They say, actually, you have a better chance of being a millionaire than you do of having six pack abs. And uh, it's also said that six pack abs are actually created in the, in the kitchen, essentially, you know, how you, how you eat is, has a lot to do with that. Uh, but yeah, as you, as you talk about, you know, a lot of times people focus on the show muscles. Like I'm going to work on my biceps. I want a big biceps or I want a big chest or I want, you know, six pack abs. And uh, you know, of course it's important to strengthen your overall body. You want balance, you want symmetry. So that's very important. Number one, just from an aesthetic point of view, but it's also important from a health point of view, you want a balanced body. And uh, if you work on your entire body, like you say, strengthen your back, uh, you know, strengthen all aspects of your body, your, your legs, your calves, your chest, all parts of your body, uh, your chance of injury goes down. And then obviously your chance of looking really good goes up. Uh, and then also another aspect of that would be strengthening your range of motion. So oftentimes we have a reduced range of motion that we have strength in, and we don't test the outer ranges of motion. And over time, as we get older, we start to have a smaller and smaller range of motion that we have any strength in. And oftentimes we'll see like old people who are hunched over is that they, they've lost range of motion in that upward position. And so we need to be testing that. And that's where we, you know, get into mobility type exercises there's stretching and then there's what we call mobility or priming where you actually use tension in a range of motion. So you can build strength in that full range of motion. And so a lot of times people have back issues because they honestly, they, they don't have good hip mobility. 
they don't have good strength in the hips and the ankles and, and, you know, the upper part of the body. And so they get injured easily. So yeah, doing a lot of mobility type work and building strength in greater ranges of motion, uh, I think are very key. And then as far as the six pack is concerned, and again, people want the six pack and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's important to build that core, as you said, to build those muscles. So a lot of what you see as a six pack is just simply muscles. Everybody has a six pack. Okay. It, if you strip away all the fat, every single person has a six pack because everybody has basically the similar muscle structure underneath. It's just, the question is how big are those muscles? And so if you really build those muscles, those core muscles, then they become more visible, number one. And then number two, if you focus on eating well and keeping your, uh, your calories a little bit below your maintenance, you'll start to lose body fat. And those abs that you built will show even more. So right now, I don't know what my body fat percentage is. I'm, I'm guessing maybe 12%. I'm not sure. Uh, I can see my abs. I'm not ripped by any stretch of the matter, but I can see my abs. I don't think I see a full six pack. I see about maybe a four pack, um, but uh, it's better than I was, you know, quite a few years ago when one guy told me, he said, Hey, why have a six pack when you can have the whole keg? You know, my, I just had this, I just had this big belly and yeah. there was no six pack. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, for me, or something I wanted... to, the, to the effect of the, no, I don't have my six packs are shy. So they're hiding underneath. <laughs> Yeah, they're very shy right at the moment. Two of them, at least, are very, very shy. <laughs> so you said that, you know, you're not a trainer, like, by profession, but you've gotten so into the industry. Uh, like, you're, you're, like, okay, you have a podcast, you've got a company that's involved with, like, people who are professionals in the industry. Why did you just take such a, such a sharp turn? And what were you doing before this and the journey behind that? Yeah, so before this, I... Uh, I was in life insurance. Okay. Oh, yeah, I know this is, this is wild. So I'd been interested in fitness and health my entire life. I was very into nutrition. Even when I was overweight, I was very into nutrition. So I'd be overweight and I would eat a lot of really good healthy foods. It was just, there's a lot of other things I'd add on top of it, <clears throat> excuse me, that would cause me to gain weight. Uh, I was very into supplements over the years. My grandmother, she was into supplements. And so I kind of got into that when I was a little kid, she had these magazines, it was called prevention magazine laying around her house and I'd read them and there'd be all these supplements. I go, well, that's fascinating. This supplement does this and this supplement does that. I'm, I want to take, take these supplements. I want to take all of them. Uh, that sounds so cool. Uh, so I was really into all this stuff in the past. And I was also very much into marketing. So before I got into the life insurance business, I had created a, a, a company with a business partner selling corporations, LLCs, and that type of thing. And we created that online. So this was around 2001 or so. So I'd been into internet marketing from that point. Of, uh, that point. I'd learned a lot about how to create offers, how to create headlines, how to, you know, uh, you know, design ads and things like that. So I was very interested in that. I love that. I loved artistic things. I was into photography. I loved audio recording. That's some <laughs> weird thing it was a hobby of mine. Yeah. And so I had all these hobbies that I loved. And when I got into the life insurance business, it was really about making money for me. I wasn't a love for life insurance, even though I think it's very necessary. And I think it's very valuable for people. But it wasn't a love and it was just something I did. And, and part of my 
business was doing a lot of internet marketing things to build my life insurance business. And so I really, though, had my passion in art and in fitness. And I'd been looking for ways to get, you know, more into those type of things and to create a business around it. And so when Sal came into my life, that just presented the perfect opportunity for me to start creating what I was really interested in, which was fitness and health and supplements and using my photography skills and recording stuff. I mean, all this stuff was like a dream come true. And then as it grew, now that's what I'm immersed in uh, almost full time. Now, I do have a degree in business uh, with a concentration in marketing and accounting. And I never wanted to be an accountant. After I finished school, I never wanted to be an accountant. But it's so funny because when I look back on everything I've done and all the things I did that I didn't really enjoy, and now what I'm doing in my business, I, I do, of course, a lot of things I really do enjoy, but there's a bunch of things I don't enjoy. I mean, I'm, I'm the one in, you know, interfacing with the CPA and the bookkeeper, you know, the accountants. I'm the person doing a lot of that administrative things when it comes to finance, but my history makes me well-suited for that. And so I have all these variety of skills that now I've kind of put in one bucket and I'm using. So yeah, if you need life insurance, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the question comes then, like, cause you've got this, like a perfect mix of skill sets that you bring about. And then uh, your company MindPump has offered something which is very different from any other workout program, you would say. Uh, marketing in a way kind of helps highlight these things for a brand and but then everyone out there who's selling something with when it comes to fitness is like mine is the next best thing what would you say to that and how would you say you're different yeah so that i mean that's very difficult and we knew that going into this business is that it's a very saturated saturated market it's very hard to get attention because there's so much noise. And then there's all these like really good looking people. Okay. And they're taking their pictures uh, and they put it on Instagram and they, they look great. And uh, none of the guys I work with even want to try competing with that. And people oftentimes will associate, of course, somebody who looks really good as somebody who knows what they're talking about. I did that exact same thing. And so we had to find a way to distinguish uh, ourselves from, from the rest of the crowd. And the way we did that really is through the podcast, because the podcast is a platform where we have 45 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes to really kind of put out and lay out their, the arguments. And you can't really fake a 90-minute show, right? Especially if you've done uh, over 1,800 episodes. At some point, people are going to... I either say, okay, these guys are full of crap or boy, these guys really know what they talk, they're talking about. And for us, uh, the, the show and the expertise that the guys I work with has made it so people can see very quickly that they really know what they're talking about. Every week we do two shows where we have callers call in and get coached by them on you know, live, essentially. I mean, it's recorded, but it's you know live to us when they call in. And it's totally unscripted and they give advice and people can see that they know what they talk, they're talking about. They've been trainers for, you know, 20 years, each of them. 
and uh, they have so much experience. And so from that standpoint, that gives us a lot of credibility. If we were just to put our program out there and say, yeah, we got the greatest program. Look at our before and after pictures, you know, build us all this muscles, pack on 30 pounds of muscle in 60 days. You know, th that's what's out there. And people buy it because the people look good that are selling it. But that's that doesn't have any longevity if you're not producing results for people. So we prefer preferred to do the slow build. Yeah. And our business has grown very nicely over the years. But in reality, I think it's been slow. I mean, we could have done it so much faster if we did a lot more gimmicky stuff, but mm -hmm. that's not sustainable. So we really focused on just providing a lot of value. Just, you know, we, we did this business for a year. We recorded, you know, hundreds of, uh, I don't know how many shows we recorded, but over a hundred shows for the first year. And uh, we just gave them away for free. We gave everything away for free and we still give away a lot of things for free. Uh, our show is still free. We give all these, we have white papers and things that we offer for free and that just builds our credibility. So I would say anybody who's trying to build a business needs to do that is think about what you can give first rather than what you can get to provide value because people ultimately pay for value and they come back for more value. And if you can provide it uh, the first time, and they get the result that they came for, then they're going to come back time and time again. So that's really how Mind Pump has been able to grow. On the note of like marketing and then building a brand organically, and like even if it's slow, uh, on the flip side, you have like influencers like the Kim Kardashians and what have you, so where they look like they have the dream body. And there, there was this recent video that came out on their show where they were working out um, and their trainer was there and it looked like a joke, like nothing close to, if someone knows anything about working out would just laugh it off. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Uh, they are selling a product. They are making a, millions out of it and people are falling for it. How do you compete in a market where uh, the end user, the consumer is not educated enough and they don't know where to look uh, at? Because like common media, okay, she's an aspirational figure who's got this body that everyone wants to have, but like it's, this is not realistic. That ass with that waist does not make any sense. Yes, of course. Well, I mean, we are competing with these massive people. I mean, there's there's so much bigger than we are. We we can't compete with the Kardashians. Uh, they have this massive following. They have notoriety. Uh, we're we're just a drop in the ocean when it comes to all this. But I think you just have to uh, realize that there are people out there who are looking for truth. Always, you know always keep that in mind there's always a market and you don't need a ton of people to have success out there there's some article out there i think it's called a thousand true fans or something like that it's what you need is a thousand true fans to create a business for yourself hey, kardashians have tens of millions most likely and so we don't try to to uh, compete with that uh, what's his name chris hemsworth he has a product and obviously He's, he's Thor, right? He's yeah. got this uh, amazing body. Um, and so people just assume it's great and we can't compete with that. But if you get out there and you put out very quality information, little by little, one person at a time, and that's how we started out. And that's how we still do it is we start to bring the people, these people into our fold and they become part of our tribe, if you will. People who are, okay, uh, this is what we believe. And this is what we feel is true. 
And so I, I think we can't be discouraged by somebody like Kim Kardashian who has so many fans. It's just, that's just unrealistic. Um, but you can still be very successful with just a handful of people that uh, believe in what, what you do. You're a producer of the podcast for Mind Pump. How, like, how does it work for you to keep things fresh? Like the basic rules of fitness are boiled down to a few things and then also like you know expert advice but it caters to each different person of course like uh if i'm like overweight but i uh do strength training it helps but someone is like really skinny uh has a high metabolism or like their gut bacteria is different so that affects the way they you know their body responds to working out inflammation the whole spiel so uh, how do you keep it interesting because you've been doing it for quite some time now uh does it involve the guests because this is something where you come in like you're, you're the brains behind the show and the podcast where it's not specifically the expertise but like the right guests the audience the conversation how does that work out like from your standpoint and how do you make it keep going yeah this is a question we often get because the truth is like you say there's only so many things to talk about uh, how many times has the, have the guys talked about, uh, you know, reverse dieting or something like that? I mean, these conversations we have over and over and over again, every week when we have people call in, 50% of them have the same exact same question. It's like, I'm doing all these workouts and so on. And, and you know, why can I, you know, can I build muscle and run marathons and this type of thing? They all have these same questions. And the guys answer these questions over and over and over again. And the way it stays fresh is just taking a little bit different take on it. Every time is a little different take, you know, talk about it in a little bit different way. Um, and so the guests are actually a very small portion of what our show is. We don't actually have that many guests. Most of our shows are just us. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it just stays fresh because we always kind of try to present it in a little bit different uh, way each time. And I'm going to say, you know, call me the brains behind everything. I, I, I appreciate that, but it's not entirely true. It's a very collaborative effort here for us. Um, so we're all contributing. We're all talking about the things that we want to talk about. That's one of the reasons our show, we have three shows a week. We call QAWS, which stands for Q&A, uh, which question and answers, but we just call it QA. Uh, <laughs> the first 45 minutes of those shows are not anything really, for the most part, to do with fitness. It's about current events and about family stuff. And, and uh, that's fun to talk about because every day that's, that's the part that's different. And a lot of our audience loves it, especially after they become fans of the show, because it's very real it's, and it's very interesting. It's just like hearing three guys talk about their lives and you're entering into a, a conversation. Um, I was just going to say one thing, too, is I think it was Jim Rohn that's been attributed to the saying, and it's this, have something good to say, say it well, and say it often. Hmm. And so I, I believe we have something that's very good to say. And I think the guys say it very well and they say it over and over and over again, because there's only so many things that you need to know to be fit and healthy. But if you say it over and over and again, and, and you always are trying to say it better uh, the next time, then you just keep improving and the message keeps getting out there. And then a lot of people will not actually adopt or understand something the first time they hear it. They need to hear it. People have to hear things 
I believe it's around six times people have to hear things before it actually sinks in. And that's just just humans, you know, we have to we have to have that repetition. So uh, by hearing things over and over again, you'd think our audience would get tired of it, but uh, but they don't necessarily because for one, it's been said in a different way. And number two, they need to hear it multiple times. And then this whole concept of saying it well, um, I think anything could be made interesting if you're always trying to improve it. So let's just say you wash dishes every day and in very mundane task, right? I, I, when I was a kid, I hated washing dishes, absolutely hated it. But now if I'm very mindful and I'm going to wash these dishes the best I can wash these dishes, I'm going to do the <laughs> best dishwasher there ever has been. And I'm going to make these dishes so sparkly clean that everybody will feel comfortable eating off of them. Now dishwashing becomes interesting. And a challenge. So that, yeah, a challenge. Always try to challenge yourself. I don't care how mundane the task is. Always try to do it well, the best you can do it. And it will never become so boring you can't handle it i mean there's a lot of things i never want to do in my life but if i have to do them i always try to be mindful and to do a really good job when i do it and that makes it makes it um, much less unpleasant if you will so a little uh, approach of the miyagi um, wax on wax off <laughs> keep going yes exactly exactly there's something to be said about like long form conversations. Uh, like you said, it's not always, it's just the, the, uh, the hosts of the podcast, people just talking, sharing thoughts, talking about like current events. Uh, there's that has lost. It's like, you know, over time, like, you know, 15 minute clips online or like Instagram stories and reels short, uh, like bite-sized information shared and then there's the we just lack that connection that that way of connecting with people in conversations where you get to know more than just the surface level is that maybe uh, something that people are looking for that they find at one at your podcasts oh absolutely I think so I mean we historically information has been put out in little bite-sized bits if you look back on traditional television it's like you have these little conversations, for example, on a talk show, uh, they bring on a guest and they have like a 10 minute conversation with these people and it's broken up by three commercial breaks. And so people don't ever get deep or uh, get into things, you know, deeply on these type of programs. And it used to be thought that, oh, people need to have things broken up. You know, they need to have like a lot of flashing and a lot of mm -hmm. cuts and movies. They, you got to keep things exciting. And so everything was kind of like this uh, fast food of information. And then somebody like Joe Rogan comes along <laughs> and has a three hour conversation with somebody and people are fascinated and they, they learn things and they get sucked into the conversation and it comes to find out people actually have a better attention span than we thought. As a matter of fact, they're hungry for it. They're hungry for good conversation. They're hungry for truthful conversation. It just needs to be interesting, right? Yeah. And so uh, I think our, our show, that's one of the reasons that people love it is because we do have conversations. We do get in deep on certain topics. And uh, I think that really pulls people in. Uh, we're all looking for a sense of community too. And when our show, obviously, 
we have three guys mainly, I, I chime in every once in a while, but three guys mainly having conversations. And you get to really know who they are because you're listening to these people maybe more than once a week. And you learn about their families, their children, their challenges. I mean, one of the things I love about these guys, and I was a little uncomfortable actually at first, they were so transparent about everything in their life. Uh, they would talk about things that I thought were like forbidden. Boy, I would never talk about that. But they've shared a lot of things and they've been extremely vulnerable on the show. And people appreciate that because people are looking for realness. There's so much fake stuff out there right now. You talk about, you know, the Kardashian stuff. It's all glitz and that type of thing. People want something that's real. And uh, I, I think truly that is one of the reasons our show has been so successful. Not only do we have good fitness advice and uh, conversations about that, but it's really about getting to know people and to meet people who are very much uh, being vulnerable and sh sharing their, you know, their ugly stuff in their life. And you start to realize, you know, I'm not alone in this world. Oh man, I had that same challenge. I've been very reluctant to talk to anybody about it because I thought I was like kind of a weirdo because I'm the only one that I thought had this challenge, but now they're talking about it on the show. Now they've opened the door for me being more honest. I'm, I'm talking about myself even. I mean, I was really closed down on a lot of things that I thought were forbidden or I felt like embarrassed about. And they're so open about so many things. It's like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm not such a weirdo after all. They're kind of um, weird. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about the fact that, you know, it's three men. Like a lot of people just go like, oh, you know, they're not including women in the conversation. Like it's just their perspective of it. Uh, there could be like, you know, an angle where I could think of like where there's a space where men can just be men have that. It's not like we're excluding you. Like women have their uh, little groups where they go in their women's day out, girls go out and have fun, go for a few drinks and they get that comfortable space. But mm -hmm. then on the flip side, they'd be like, yeah, because but they're just having their male perspective and their opinions and uh, they don't know how it's like, like if they give, give their version of the truth or their opinion of it, it's one sided but there is a romanticized version of let's bro let bros be bros and have their code, have them have their space. And that kind of flourishes into you being comfortable with yourself. Like you said, they like talking about things that they, you thought like there's something that's kind of taboo. Uh, what would you say to that? Well, we get this every once in a while, people said, you, you need to get a woman on the show <laughs> yeah. and get a female perspective. And uh, I mean, Okay, I, I, I get that. Um, however, we got to go back to when we started this thing it was just a bunch of bros getting together and said, hey, let's do a podcast. And so it kind of created this uh, dynamic between these guys that, uh, you know, we, we can't really put another element in to we will have conversations with women, men, whatever, we'll have guests on. And we have a nice conversation with them, but to throw another person into the mix, there's, it's like a, um, there's like a, a balance, if you will, with these guys that it's, it's like almost like a formula. It's like, you know, you bake a cake, you've got a really good cake. We got a good cake here, but now we're going to try to throw in another ingredient that could throw the, the cake off. So, um, yeah, so we're never going to probably add anybody else to the mix uh, unless we have a gun to our head, right? <laughs> Simply because we have a, there's a chemistry and yeah. we don't want to interrupt that chemistry. 
And then, of course, the guys obviously have their experience training a lot of women. But, of course, there's just going to be some things that we're not going to get a true women's perspective on. Um, but that's just that's just what we're going to have to, to deal with because we're working with the tools we have and the chemistry that we have, and we don't want to disrupt that. I don't know if that uh, answered your question. Or I'm not. gonna I'm gonna pivot to a slightly a very touchy uh, direction where a lot of companies, a lot of brands go like, let's be very inclusive. We're like, you know what? Let's add women. Let's add ethnic uh, people of color just so that I can virtue signal. And I can go like, this is like, you know, now we have these number of employees or team members that are from this, this, this group. So, you know, we've done our part and then they just feel like the weight is off the chest. Uh, want to say something or do you want to just move faster? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, each company is free to do what they want to do. And uh, I always of, am of the mind is let's 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 get outside of our podcast okay let's not mm -hmm. talk about our podcast because this is kind of like like you say it's kind of a, a, a if you call it talent thing right it's like these are the talent that we have and we're yeah. working with and this is what we started with and it seems to be working out really well so we're not going to change up that but as far as you know our company is concerned um you know who are we going to hire i'm going to hire the best person for the job okay I want, I want to hire the best person for the job. Now, who, who is this person going to be? I don't know they'll come in and we'll interview them and we'll, we'll bring them in. Um, and so interestingly, if you look at our employees, uh, we have probably a 50, 50 split between men and women and almost all of them are not what we consider white Americans. We have a lot of Hispanics. We have uh, American Indian. We have, um, let's see, who else? I mean, pretty much that. We have a very a large mix. Hispanic mix. Yeah, uh, that works for us. In fact, I would say there's more Hispanics that work for our company than than non. And so, uh, but but why did we do that? Because we were trying to be inclusive. No, we we like them and they fit into our culture, and fantastic that's uh, that's why we hired them and so I, I i really wish i mean this is controversial to say i think is i wish we could get beyond race 100%. get beyond gender okay is is the point that the fact that we're focused so much on that is actually making it worse because now it's like oh okay i'm going to judge you on your race and your gender we're, we're the by the mere fact that we're so focused on that we're going to be judging on that and it's like i i just want to work with people i like that are good at their job uh, and i don't care what their race or gender is you know what i'm saying i and i know that's kind of controversial to say these days but no um, i think it should it should be uh, something that we commonly agree on uh, i feel like a lot of people and corporations just go like i want to say that i am inclusive so i will go out of my way to be inclusive rather than what do what what is my bottom line uh, these are my results that i need and this is let's say my clients or my customers need and are my team members able to service them in that manner rather than okay you know what we have this 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 ethnicity in our uh, company so i hence we are better that's not something that you should use as a metric yeah i i totally agree with that um so yeah i i feel like uh 
well, I don't know if we want to go into this. <laughs> I told you it's going to be a very touchy subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is touchy for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I think too. There's this other thing is like when we get people who are coming to us requesting a job is like we're only limited by the number of people who apply, right? So uh, sometimes we don't have a really big pool of ethnicities to choose from. Just so happens to be we have a lot of Hispanics that have applied for jobs. And so we have hired a lot of Hispanics. So that's, I think that's how it plays out for us too. It's not like we're out there seeking, okay, you know, you must be this gender, you must be this race in order for us to, to hire you. It's, no, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way because I feel like that's totally uh, kind of racist or sexist true, true. to do that. Um, which is funny too, because like one thing I've done in the past is I've created thumbnails for some of our episodes. And I honestly, I do try to be very mindful to create uh, thumbnails using different ethnicities and genders in those thumbnails. And I go to the stock photo pages and it's really tough because sometimes I have a very specific thing that I want in my photo. So I start with the end in mind. Okay. I want I want somebody doing a Bulgarian split stance squat. Okay, I'm looking for that. So I put that into my Adobe stock photos search and uh, all these images come up, but only two or three images I'll actually like. And because there's so many more like white people on mm -hmm. these stock photos, yeah, I'm, I'm only left with that option, even though I'd love to have... Uh, a black person, Hispanic person, uh, you know, East Indian person, whatever. I, yeah. I would like to have some variety in our images for our, our podcast, for example, thumbnails. And it's so hard because, you know, because in the U.S., white population tends to be um, a, a greater percentage of the population per race. So, you know, and so that's why we end up with that. So many photos of that, I suppose, in the stock photos that we're, we're looking at. So anyway, it's, it's a challenge. It really yeah. is a challenge. You said something about like uh, superfoods and like taking supplements when you were younger, because you're like your mom was also like, uh, used to get a magazine talking about that. Uh, what did you do when you were younger and how has that changed over the years? As far as supplements are concerned? Yeah, supplements. Like, because for me, I get overwhelmed. Like, I'm going to go online. It's like, oh, there's niacin. You can take this. You can take that. And then just like, I don't know. I'm lost. Like, I, I'd rather just not because it's so confusing. Yeah. Well, I used to be very much the uh, shiny object syndrome when it came to sub uh, supplements. It was like, oh, wow, this, this does this. This supplement doesn't. You, you mentioned niacin. And, uh, for example, niacin, so you get this flush and everything, and it was supposed to be good for your hair or something. I, I don't remember back in the day. So I would order it and I would try it. And I, I would do that with all types of supplements. And I would never use them very long. And over time I started to realize is like, I should really supplement more for my needs than just try to get all these type of esoteric supplements that are designed to pinpoint some particular issue that I'm trying to address. So now my focus with sub supplements is really more to, you know, supplement as they're supposed to my diet, which um, 
means I probably need more vitamin D because I'm inside all the time. So I do vitamin D, I do K2, I think it is, that goes with it, that helps assimilation. Uh, vitamin C, um, zinc, uh, boy, fish oil, the omega-3 type of a fish oil product. Um, and so those are the main things that I take. I use some protein powders if I'm under eating protein. Uh, and you know, we have, we get a bunch of free supplements here and I use supplements on a regular basis, but I really try to be very targeted on what I'm doing and what I'm trying to accomplish with the supplements now, more so than when I was younger, it was just like, wow, that sounds cool. I'm going to try that. There's been a whole rise with like, you know, going back to primal eating where, um, Paul Saladino, and then there's Sean Baker who talk about the carnivore diet. Then there's another camp that goes fully vegan, who's like, no, I don't want to eat meat products, not specifically, but due to nutritional reasons. But uh, again, because they don't want to kill animals, they don't want to hurt anything while they're, they want to take themselves out of that food chain uh, and hence they supplement. So just, and they, and both of them stand on each side and go like, you're wrong and you're wrong. And then I'm, mm -hmm. I'm there, the consumer sitting there, like, I'm not sure about the facts because everyone's saying that like they have got their own research papers and things backing them up. Mm -hmm. It gets very difficult. That's the same thing that, you know, when there's a buyer's uh, confusion, when I go to the pharmacy, I'm like, okay, well, what supplement should I get? Because I want to do the best I can and I want to be at my optimal state of health. And right. the same thing goes for working out where I go, it's like, someone's saying, no, you got to be a cardio bunny. Just like work hard and like, you know, make sure your uh, heart rates are, heart rate is good. And like, you know, you're eating well, 70% of your diet is what is going to reflect on your health, not how much you work out. Just be active. Then someone says, no, you need strength training. Cause as you grow older, your muscle mass reduces and your muscles are going to keep you young and alive. And that's going to be the core of your, you know, health. You can see my dilemma. I'm not an expert, but I'm getting a lot of information from everywhere. What do mm -hmm. I do? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is really a challenge. This is a challenge I had for years because I didn't know who to believe. Everybody was telling me something different and everybody said what they were doing was the right way and the best way. And uh, so, yeah, I, I get the dilemma that you're faced with. Um, so let's talk about the diets. You know, you, you talk about the carnivore diet and you talk about the full vegan diet. And uh, we did a show, actually, it was um, I think it's carnivore versus vegan or vegan versus carnivore, where we had actually two different people who Paul Saladino was the one expert and the other guy, I can't remember his name. He was the, the vegan expert and they both laid out their arguments. And they both made very compelling cases. And for both sides, if somebody's listening to just one of them, they would say, wow, that's that's the way I should eat. Um, and then just kind of going on the vegan con conversation regarding about animals, you know, I can really appreciate how people don't want to hurt animals. I mean, sometimes I actually feel I feel it sometimes it's like, oh, man, this was an animal. You know, I'm eating some meat. I, this was an animal. And I I feel it. But I just have to say I, I appreciate it because um appreciate the animal and its sacrifice if you will because uh i know it's going to nourish me um but i i really think as far as nutrition is concerned it's really about balance i think anytime you go extreme on any side you really put yourself into a tough situation for for example paul saladino i mean he's locked into being this carnivore guy you know he's added i think a little bit of honey 
No, and, no, there's also fruit now. So he's eating a lot of fruits and honey. Yeah, of and, course. Yeah. At first it was all steak, 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 <laughs> steak. And it's like, oh man, I'm getting a little bit tired of steak. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll throw in a little bit of honey or and I'm going to throw in a little bit of fruit, you know? And it's like, oh yeah, now I have a little variety in my life. And then the vegan on the other side is like, you know, most vegans don't, I think it's like 70% or 80% can't sustain it because it's really hard to eat all plant-based foods. And, and, and if you're going to try to do it without eating processed plant-based foods, which a lot of these plant-based foods are processed, like these impossible burgers and that type of thing, they're very highly processed plant-based foods. If you took those out of your diet, if you took the highly processed foods out of your diet and only ate those that kind of grew out of the ground, you would have a really hard time getting the nutrients that you need in the quantities you need. I mean, you think about 100, 200 years ago, uh, truly a vegan diet was almost an impossibility. It's modern science that has made it possible. And again, I can appreciate if people don't want to hurt animals, go for it. But I think for most people, it's extremely impractical. And then when you get right down to the nutrients um, you know, that you need, I think having some plant products in your diet is probably the best way because they take like meat and eggs are very nutrient dense. You can actually live off of just meat. Okay. You can't really just live off of plants. I mean, if you think about uh, being out in the wild, if you're going to be hunting berries and nuts and other plants, you're going to burn a lot of calories just searching for that stuff. So you're going to look for some stuff that has high, uh, you know, calorically dense type foods with fats, because you need fats and plants don't provide a lot of fats. I mean, obviously you got avocados and things, but you know, how, where are you going to find those in the wild for the <laughs> most part? You fats are essential macronutrient. Protein is an essential macronutrient. Carbohydrates, the body can create those themselves. Um, and so I, I think these extremes are the thing that uh, is, is, you know, causes people a lot of, uh, uh, distress. So my advice is be balanced. You know, if you want to not really eat a lot of meat, don't, don't just, but maybe have a little bit and focus mainly on the plant-based stuff. If you really are concerned about animals and that type of thing, or, you know, choose uh, meats or, or I should not say meats, but uh, animal foods that don't harm animals. I mean, eggs, you know, we just pick them up and we eat them and doesn't hurt, harm the chicken. Uh, and then, you know, uh, if you if you want to eat a lot of meat, go ahead, but definitely include some vegetables because that's probably good for you, uh, especially if you cook them. Uh, it's very good for you. And so I, I don't I don't buy into the extremes. And the same thing goes with like working out, too. It's like, you know, just try to be moderate. Do what's necessary. We often talk about the minimum effective dose, meaning do the bare minimum to elicit the change that you want, because at some point there's diminishing returns and actually it can be detrimental. There's a recovery aspect of working out and that's where the actual change takes place. So the workouts themselves are just damage to the body. Basically the workouts are not actually doing anything at the workout time. It's what's happening after it's during the recovery phase. And so you just want to send the right stimulus and why send, send any more stimulus than you need to get the result that you're looking for. And so that's what we really focus on is doing really pretty much the bare minimum to get the benefit. 
and get that sweet spot. So if you were to see like a graph, you know, like a, a bell type curve, there's a point at the top where you're getting the most benefit for the amount of time spent. And then after that, it drops off. And before that, you know, you, you need to do maybe a little bit more, but it's not a lot. You don't need to do a lot. So I think moderation in all things is really the thing that uh, we need to stress about diet and exercise, but probably about life in general, being moderate in all things and don't take extreme positions on, on things. And life should go a lot better, in my opinion, if you do that. How do you feel about the argument against, like you said, extreme and over moderation, where a lot of people go like, if you want to go ahead fast in life, you've got to work harder than anyone else. You've got to work harder. You've got to train harder. You've got to, your diet has to be more strict. Then only you would go, are you going to get results? Are you going to, you know, stick out from the rest of like, you know, mediocre or whatever and be successful. Uh, is that just a toxic way of thinking uh, or is it just not something that's sustainable long-term? Yeah. I mean, I, I bought into that, of course, in my life a lot, uh, not only with my workouts and then at times with my diet, but with building a business. It's like bell to bell, wake up early, work nights, uh, work weekends, work, 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 work. But at some point, if you're tired and worn out, your efficiency and effectiveness drops down. But there, there is some truth, obviously. Uh, in some things more so than others, that hard work definitely trumps, you know, doing the moderate or least amount that you can do. I mean, if you're building a business, you probably are going to have to put in some really long hours because that's just going to be necessary. And you're going to have to do it for a long time because consistency is uh, key. And a lot of reasons that people don't succeed is they aren't putting the time in or they quit or something like that. So, uh, yes, there there is some truth to that. But uh, I remember reading this article that this CEO had been interviewed. And he's, he gets up like, like 4 a.m. and he rides his bike to work and then he works all day and then comes back late at night and rides his bike home. And he's like pushing himself and pushing himself. And his quote was, I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> well, you're probably going to get there pretty quick to the dead part anyway, if you keep doing that. So trying to find some balance and in your life is I think a very important thing, but yeah, you do have to work hard as far as workouts are concerned. Yes, you do need to work out hard, but you need to know what the limits are too. And more is not going to be better in the gym. Uh, but when you are there, you need to do the most effective things and to do it with intensity. Uh, but then you have to also know what the limit is and then to stop there if you want to get the maximum results. And diet. I mean, if you want to get a ripped six-pack abs, you're going to have to probably be a little bit extreme. Because simply because our bodies naturally want to keep some body fat on them. It's for health. We need to have some body fat. Uh, so 6% body fat in a man is not necessarily naturally a, a good thing. Uh, we need some body fat. And so to get down there, you're probably going to have to do a little bit of extreme dieting to get there. Um, and is that healthy? No. You see these guys on the stage with their muscles and their ripped six packs and all their striations. They're not the healthiest people. They've done some very unhealthy things to get to that position. They may look good. They may look like a superhero, 
but the reality is their health is not at its peak at that point in time. But the thing is, the, the romanticized version of that just looks good. Like, how do you battle with that demon in your head? Where it's like, you know what? At the end of the day, he's got all the tricks or she's got all the dudes hanging around her or him because they look that way. And I want that in my life. That is the allure, of course, especially now with social media. You have all these people that are posting their very best pictures when they're in their very best shape doing the most exciting things that you can ever imagine. And that's all they put up on their page. And you see these people and you say, wow, their life is so good. They look so good. They are doing such amazing things. They're, uh, they've got all these people who admire them. And, you know, there are some people who are that way. I mean, that's the truth. And it's very alluring. And it's driven me in the past to look better because I thought, well, you know, if I look good, then I'm more marketable if you will uh and so yeah it's a driver um but the reality is most of us are we're ordinary humans and we can certainly you know improve how we look we can improve our fitness we can improve our finances we can do that but we're not going to live kind of this life that is really quite unrealistic and is really just marketed as uh, the ideal life because most of those people aren't living it either. They're just posting those things that make them look like they're living that life. So it's, it's really tough. My daughter's 16 years old and, you know, she's been on Instagram. She sees all these people uh, and she's had a little bit of body image issues because of that. Yet she looks really good. She looks very good. I have her working out once a week with a trainer. And she's gotten her diet. So she's eating a healthy diet right now. And she looks very good. Um, throw some Photoshop, uh, you know, put her on a beach. Uh, you know, now she looks like an Instagram person. Mm -hmm. But let's get realistic. Is that a healthy way to go about your life, comparing yourself to those people? Probably not. In a way, comparing yourself to people is sort of like goal setting, because that's where I want to reach. That's my next checkpoint. So uh, as a person who's trying to just be like, be a better version of themselves, because it's like, you're always a work in progress. You always could get better in life. There's always something that can be fixed, but then not getting lost in the noise of Instagram and perfection. So there's just this big balance that you need to like, you know, figure out what's your, like, what's your baseline? How does one find that? Not just like in fitness, but in life, like you running a company night mind for me, go like, okay, I can't compete with a Kim Kardashian or like a, a, a Chris Hemsworth or whatever. And but yet I am selling a product that is good and I need to stay consistent and keep going at it. But then it's so alluring to just like turn around and be like, you know, maybe I could just take that shortcut or like go there, reach there and like give up on a certain things that are like core to my values just so that I can reach that goal. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's certainly something that is challenging because yeah, we always, if you're very driven type a personality, like I tend to be, <laughs> we, I want to succeed. I want to be the best. I have my older brother was, you know, six years older than me and he's very uh, athletic and he was very good with the, the, the women. And uh, I was always a little bit jealous of him. Right. So I was always pushing myself, pushing myself, but um at some point you have to start to realize that 
you know, you are who you are and you have to start loving yourself for who you are. So as far as our business is concerned, we we've been presented many opportunities to make money pushing things on our show uh, that we didn't believe in. And we had to stick to our values and say no, uh, just simply because um, at the end of the day, you got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and you have to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing and I'm not compromising myself in that, in that process. And especially I think when people are young, the tendency is I want to get there quickly and you start to, you know, shortcut things and you start to go against your own moral compass. And that's a really slippery slope that will likely lead to some type of destruction for yourself. And so I think you have to approach these things with maturity and say, you know what, I'm going to do the best thing, best I can do every single day. Yes, I'm going to set, I'm going to set, you know, different companies maybe as a target. For example, there's a big company in the U.S. called Beachbody. They they're a fitness company. <laughs> they're a billion dollar a year company. We're a drop in the bucket, but we keep our sights on them. We don't ever think we're going to ever compete with them directly because of the way they do it. Uh, I mean, they're very hypey. They make these big promises. They're all, you know, their, their workouts are all about a lot of cardio and beast mode type stuff. And it's totally, you know, the sexy stuff people get excited about, but it's not our stuff. So we can never compete with that, but we do keep them on our radar. We keep uh, other podcasts on our radar too. It's like, okay, this, I'm not going to name names, but that, that podcast is, you know, several positions higher than us. Our goal is to beat that podcast at some point. And, and we've done that quite a few times, but the, yeah, old, at the end of the day is, all right, all right. It's good to have big goals. It's good to have big aspirations, but also, you know, maintain your own integrity, realize your own limitations and don't be so caught up with what could happen in the future that you forget to live uh, for today. Uh, I mean, this has been a challenge I've faced for years. I'm very goals oriented person. I always kind of plan, you know, what I want to accomplish in my life, but my focus has oftentimes been so much on goals that I don't enjoy the journey to get there sometimes. And I forget, you know, like, okay, I'm doing really good right now. How can I enjoy this moment right now? And I mean, the big thing for that to do that is to have gratitude because gratitude is for what you have and not what you don't have. And say, I'm really grateful for the moment. I'm going to enjoy this, this moment right now because we've done really well. And um, even if we never get to this big goal that we've got uh, set for ourselves, we should be very proud of where we're at right here, right now. And by doing that, uh, I feel like my life has gotten a lot uh, better and I've been less driven by trying to be perfect and always accomplishing and finding my own worth in just who I am right here, right now at this very moment, rather than, oh, if I accomplish X, Y, Z, uh, then I'm going to have made it or I'm going to be worthy or whatever the case may be. You, what is the legacy that you want to leave? Like you've said, you had a daughter who's 16 years old right now. She's young, she's impressionable. Uh, she looks up to you, like to see, like you're, you're a father figure and a lot of kids, like, you know, especially girls, uh, the relationship that they have with their father kind of affects the relationships that they have with men in the future. 
one how how would you want to like you know keep that how are you keeping that bond with her making sure that you know she's in a happy space she's in a good space and she's a healthy relationship with you and what do you want to leave like as like you as a person and your legacy yes so this is interesting because uh, i've of course been very caught up in building our business over the past seven and a half years and there was a little while my daughter's 16 years old that I was so caught up in my work that she would be over at my place. Her mother and I are not together and she'd be in her room and I'd be in my office and I'd be working, 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 working. And this is a Saturday. Okay. And um, I felt like she was starting to slip away from me a little bit and I didn't like that. And so I started to make a concerted effort to do something with her every week. So on a Saturday, I'd spend the day with her. We'd go out, we'd go down to the beach. We'd go, you know, up to say San Francisco, we'd go shopping. We'd do something that she would enjoy and that we'd have time together. And by doing that, our relationship has gotten so tight that I'm just spending some real quality time with her. And so for me now, it's just like I'm valuing these years because she's 16. So at 18, she may decide to go off to college someplace and I won't see her so much. And that thought makes me very sad because I'm really enjoying being with her. So I'm trying to make the, the best of every moment. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that a father can make a massive dish, uh, difference in a child's life and especially a daughter's life because that's going to be the primary male figure that she's familiar with and how the father treats the daughter will probably affect how she regards men that she meets in the future and how they treat her. And like Sal says, I I'm trying to make it so that I'm an impossible figure to compete with. Um, it, you know, so that like, she meets some guys like, well, this, he's not like my dad. He doesn't do anything like my dad does. He doesn't spend the time with my dad. He doesn't listen like my dad does. And, and so that's, you know, something I really try to do is just spend that quality time and to listen to her and to not judge her. And, you know, sometimes I have different opinions, but I just kind of bite my tongue <laughs> and try to pro provide guidance. And then ultimately be an example of somebody that she would admire and aspire to be like. Because we can say a lot of words, right? We can say, okay, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, or you should do this, you should do that. But if I'm doing the opposite in my own life, that speaks louder than words, right? And so I'm trying to be that example by doing things um, in my own life and going through life in such a way that I'm using integrity and, and uh, keeping my word, et cetera. And I, I feel like I do a pretty good job of that. I, I don't always succeed in that. But um, I, I kind of look to my own father because my dad was such a man of integrity. I mean, his word was his bond. And he was very much the family man. And uh, boy, he would, not, he would not compromise his integrity even if he knew he would get an advantage from doing it at all. So that's really the thing that I want to instill in her is that integrity is so important and being a person of your word is so important and that uh you know how you treat others is so important and if she can get that from me then i can feel like i've been 
successful as a father. And so that's really my ultimate legacy for her is just to have those values that she goes through life and is a blessing to people and is somebody that can be relied upon and hopefully makes a lot of good choices in her life. That's nice. Where can people find you? Like, uh, are you on Instagram? I know Mind Pump, like what's the website? Like where can people find the programs and all the info? Yeah, so our main Instagram is at Mind Pump Media. Mine is Mind Pump Doug. Our programs are at mapsfitnessproducts.com. We also have a website, mindpumpmedia.com. You can actually find the programs there as well. We have a lot of free stuff that we give away at uh, mindpumpfree.com. So there's all types of like white papers on how to build, you know, your shoulders, your arms, or your legs, or lose body fat, or even how to do mobility if you're a golfer, that type of thing. So we have that. And then we have a YouTube channel, Mind Pump Show. So you can actually see the show on that channel. And uh, you can kind of see who we are and what we do. And um, those are the, be the places that I would recommend that you go to check us out. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.